Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Connectivity Podcast. We're here to educate, entertain, and inform. So tune in as we have conversations with various business owners, athletes, influencers, you name it. Our goal is to provide our listeners with as much value as possible, so we really hope you enjoy your experience as you listen. All right, so I'm here today with a football legend, uh, CFL Hall of Famer, two-time Great Cup champion, also recipient of the Lou Marsh Award, which is for the best Canadian athlete overall in any sport. And if that wasn't enough, this man has a trophy named after him, the John Cornish Trophy. How are you doing today, brother? I'm doing very well. Thanks for the, the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Did I miss anything? There's a lot of accolades to go through. I hope I got it all. <laughs> Probably missed a few. Uh, you know, I, 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 the, the two key ones, Hall of Fame, Lou Marsh, you got the important ones. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, so, so I grew up a fan. Um, I grew up watching you, and um, you did some really amazing things on the field. There's uh, one play in particular that sticks in my mind, and I believe it was against the Edmonton Eskimos. You ran for a 78-yard touchdown. Um, I don't know if you remember that, but it literally looked like a video game, and you had your game sliders turned up all the way. Just the defenders were just bouncing off of you left and right, and you know it seemed like a man among boys that play. Do you remember which play I'm talking about? I'll, I'll never forget it. Never yeah. forget it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so tell me honestly, do you ever get tired of watching that highlight, or every time it's on, you're you know you're always down to watch it? Always, yeah. always down to watch <laughs> it. You know that that play is uh, is ranked on the TSN in terms of the top ten playoff plays in the CFO. It's number three. So I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, I'm okay with that. Uh, but but the, the play itself, I mean, honestly, um, that's, uh, it's a play that I always imagined putting together. I mean, uh, you play running back, uh, you know, you make one person miss, you get tackled. That's just part of the deal. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but that perfection is what you always pursue, right? So, like, I had, I had a few sort of plays sort of up there in that 10 out of the 10 kind of play yeah. over the course of my career. But that was the one that truly just strung together, made this guy miss, that guy miss, that guy miss, that guy miss, that guy miss. And then you get into the open field and you get to show off your speed a little bit. So it, it worked out pretty well, yeah. I got to say. Uh, but uh, it, it was hard to actually get to the right place, maybe mentally, to, to make that all unfold. Because it wasn't uh, it wasn't like something that just oh yeah just randomly I did that. You know, there was a lot of a lot of effort that went in beforehand, and a lot of learning. Like uh, one key learning that went into that play was that after you make somebody miss, you reset, mm-hmm. right? So it's rather than a string of, of of connected events. It's okay, you made somebody miss. Okay, reset, control your body, and deal with the next person. So it's sort of that level of control between rather than just spinning randomly and just doing whatever you can. Yeah. It was actually like planned <laughs> to yeah. some degree. And, and you must have to be able to think like, you know, on your feet, no pun intended, but quick time for, you know, because there's so much happening, right? And to be right. able to, you know, make a defender miss and then reset, regather, refocus and continue on with the play. 
you know, that play just, you know, it just blows my mind every time I see it. So. Well, thanks for bringing it. I, I could talk about it forever. Uh, because, uh, <laughs> but I think, I think the main thing is that there was no real thought process, right? Like, you, you, I spent so much time in, in our hot tub, which had a treadmill in it, mm. and I would practice my moves in there, oh, right? Wow. And then I had a cue sheet of, like, sort of my thought process, the, whatever thoughts were going through, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then you get the ball, and then you have a move list. Right. And the moves are all things I practiced. Right. And it makes it a, here's a spin move. Here's a leap. Here's a, here's that, here's that. And then you string them all together and it actually works. Yeah. It doesn't work all the time, but it's nice when it does. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So, so I'm a former football player myself in junior high and high school. Um, but at a young age, I did a lot of running and jumping and ducking and diving, mainly dodging ass whoopings for my mom. Um, so that's how I developed my athleticism. Um, I'm wondering how, how you were able to develop your athleticism growing up. Yeah, I, uh, I very, at a very early age, I had an uncle who uh, taught us how to fall. He was a black belt in karate. And we, my cousins and I would all just try and take him down. And uh, it just so happened that he took us down enough that we needed to learn how to fall. I think that's the very basis of my uh, longevity in my football career is that I always knew how to fall. And that, that was sort of the basis of everything. Cause I knew sometimes I would be tackled. So I would just fall in the most appropriate way. And mm -hmm. I felt like that was that kind of base little piece was uh, the fundamental piece of my, my running back time. But uh, I would say sort of after I started realizing I could be fast, I started actually trying to tune my speed. So it would be, um, in, as instantaneous as possible mm -hmm. at a young age I tried to um, when I was doing sprint practice and those kinds of things I focused on 10 and 20 10 and 20 maybe some 40s in there and it was most evidence in the uh, provincial final in grade 12 track final 100 meter um, you know some of the guys I'd been racing against forever uh, but out of the blocks like at 20 yards I'm 10 yards ahead at 40 yards I'm 20 yards ahead However, because I only trained that, that short little burst, I ended up losing the race, getting second in the, the second <laughs> in the province. But it worked out because I really do feel that that being able to instant, instantaneously summon your, your burst, that's the most powerful thing you can do in any sport. Yeah. Right? If you look at uh, Jordan, if you look at uh, LeBron, like all these guys in basketball, they got that burst. And I yeah. think that's uh, when, I, when I work out with people, when I, when I do anything, I always try to emphasize being explosive. And I think that's a, that's a number one factor you can have. If you're a good player, offense, defense, if you're an explosive player, you'll do well. Yeah, for sure. So what's your earliest memory that you have of yourself playing football? Because I'm wondering, were you that kid that, you know, just bullied everyone on the playground, on the football field, and nobody had a chance? Had it always been like that? Or... Um, was there, or did that develop more so as you grew older? So what's your, your earliest memory? Of yeah, your my earliest memory, my, my first football game I ever played uh, was against a, a school. Uh, they had a running back, but he had like a full beard already. Oh, wow. Right? We're in grade eight, and this guy <laughs> has a full beard. Like, we're all immediately scared of him. He starts running and stuff, and he runs so hard, everybody's afraid to tackle him. I had never tackled anybody in my life, so I, I gave him a little strong arm. <laughs> And uh, it actually it actually worked. I was able to tackle him. And then at that point, I was like, you know, I can if I if I apply my force, I can I can do something in this game. So then, you know, grade eight happened. 
grade nine happened and then sort of by grade 10 that's when I started like really being established on the football field both mm-hmm. offensively and defensively um but yeah the, the, the that strong arm memory I'll never forget that kid um because he he probably grew up a little bit too fast because I never saw him on the football field again but yeah. that year he was a world beater and yeah. being able to stop him with a with a nice <laughs> crossbar it's, it's not nice. bad that's my nice. first football memory I mean, the guy had a beard in grade eight. So I don't even feel that you were playing against a grown man, so he, he got what he had coming to him. It was, it was scary. I, I got to say, there's, there's been a few times I've come up against scary guys, and I was definitely up there with the top five scariest players I played against. Nice, nice. So when did you start to take football seriously? Like, when did you know that you actually had an opportunity to um, turn it into a career? Yeah, uh, I would say uh, grade 11. Um, so I, I was part, we won uh, two provincial championships. I had one win and when I was a grade 10 as part of the varsity team. Um, but I was a more of a special teams player that year. Um, in, in grade 11, I was able to help lead the team to the provincial finals. Um, my compatriot on the team, Calvin McCarty, who now still plays with the Edmonton Eskimos, we won actually uh, three provincial championships together. Um, he was on the team as well, and we were able to uh, to win the championship at that point. The following year, it was me and Calvin sort of left and right. Like, we, we were just destroying teams. And that sort of gave me the, the understanding. Like, I, I averaged in my senior year, I averaged 14.7 yards per carry. Wow. Right? So so it was, like, if you want to talk about man versus boys, it was de- – watching my high school tape, it was – it was sometimes uh, it was it was pretty brutal on the, if you're on the opposing team. <laughs> Those are Madden numbers, man. That's like a, that's a created player in Madden. That's crazy. It was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. I bet. So let's talk about um, your college years. So you went to you went to college in the states, and you dominated, and you applied for the NFL draft, and you went undrafted in the NFL draft. So why did you choose to enter the CFL as opposed to testing free agency in the NFL? Well, I, I, I didn't choose to enter the NFL draft. Oh, really? I was invited, I was invited to, the, um, to the NFL Combine okay. as, a, as, a, as a player that's finished fifth, fifth in the nation in rushing, right. should be. Um, I thought my, my accolades were really good, but I knew my Combine performance was, was really bad uh, because I wanted to play in Canada. The truth of the matter is, is as much fun I had at University of Kansas, I also felt a little bit scared because I pulled out of the parking lot in my car. Like if I did that, I would be pulled over without fail. So I ended up having to add about 15 minutes to anywhere I was going because I knew I was going to be pulled over by the cops. Now, there was a few times they asked me for autographs. Cool. But there was too many times to count. Right. So it's just part of the deal. And I, I... I started to understand the plight of a black person in, in the United States, uh, something they live with their whole life. I didn't need to live with. My goal at the end of the day was to win the Lumar's trophy. You know, when I was six years old, I want to be like Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky, those guys, mm-hmm. Donovan Bailey in particular. Um, and so like I had that goal and I thought maybe I could do that in Canada. It might be, uh, might be better. I, I, I thought it, like if I had been drafted, um, I would have gone and played, but I didn't entertain any offers. I actually had 24 offers coming out um, to, to come to camp, which was really like they knew I was good at special teams and I could play in the NFL. But my, my goal at the end of the day was to, to be Canada's best athlete. 
did you ever like throughout your career in the CFL? Did you ever consider making a move to the NFL? No. No, I got uh, re-signed every year. Uh, I I I think there was really. I don't think I, I went a year without signing a contract. I, I got better and better contracts every year. Um, and I was happy. I've never been a person that's um, fixated on money. Uh, my biggest thing was um, uh, reaching the goals that I aspired to. Awesome. So as a running back, it's one of the toughest positions in sports, I believe, because you're getting hit almost every play. And uh, I know it puts a lot of wear and tear on your body and the typical lifespan or career span of a running back is uh, shorter than most positions. So how was your body feeling leading into playoffs? And what are some of the things that you did to keep your body in good shape during the season to make sure you yeah. can perform your best during playoffs? Mm -hmm. I think a fundamental was uh, cold tubbing. Um, after nearly every practice, and for sure after every game, I was hitting the cold tub, making sure my legs were good. Uh, sometimes I would contrast with hot and cold. And like I said, I, I spent a lot of time in the hot tub uh, working on my moves, running on the treadmill. Yeah. And, and one thing um, that not too many people have access to, but um, you, you might remember it from uh, the, the movie Rocky IV. Uh, you see Dolph Lundgren's character um, sort of pumping away on a machine, yeah. right, with his legs and stuff. That's a biodex machine. And what that does is it provides exactly the amount of resistance that you uh, – that you need to be able to push, but it provides just a little bit, little bit less than you're pushing with. So you have a high degree of resistance, but you're still pushing against it and it matches your strength. That machine uh, changed the game for me. I learned from Joffrey Reynolds because he spent uh, two, three times a week, he would be on that machine. And it just kept my muscles really, really, really nice. And I think that was the main thing, being healthy for every game. I mean, we had some quick turnarounds versus Edmonton in the Labor Day Classic. We might have a Monday and Friday game. How do you recover for that? And, and my main prescription was the cold tub. Also, you have to work out, which is super important. But I, I would say sort of maintaining your mental focus is the number one thing. Um, throughout the entire week, what are you preparing for? What are you thinking about? It should be the game. If it's not, then, then you have other priorities. And that's fine. But if you're trying to be the best, you should be focused on the thing you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, definitely. So do you have any lingering injuries or anything lingering from <laughs> from uh, your time playing football? Yeah, you know, actually, uh, so I was lucky enough to uh, sit down with Randy Ambrosi, the CFL commissioner, uh, like a few months back. He had a few uh, Stampeder alumni just uh, telling us sort of the CFL, what's going to be happening next, uh, those kinds of things. And he, he asked, actually, at one point, uh, how many guys wake up in the morning without any pain? And I was the only person that raised my hand. Wow. Right. Um, I, I like to think that, I mean, this was one of the things on my NFL draft uh, uh, sort of um, sort of evaluation. It was like, you know, John, John doesn't doesn't like to hit. Right. Maybe that's a fair assessment. Um, but the truth is, I think I was still evolving how I actually um, accommodated another person's force when it when it meant my body. And so in, in college, I tried to meet force with force. And then I realized, like, there's no value in that. Like, somebody's going to win, and I'm not the strongest guy, so why, why should I pursue that angle? Um, rather, I, I tried to start working with the force that other people were giving me, more of a, uh, uh, like, a Taekwondo kind of style, where you push me, that's great. I'm going to give you that. Yeah. And once I started sort of giving, giving myself up like that, it, it was, um, I'll use a Bruce Lee phrase, uh, like, be like water. Um, and that allowed me to sort of just, when somebody hit me, 
I just, I just went with it. Right. Maybe they take me in the direction I wanted to go or maybe not, but I just, I didn't, I didn't reflect the hit. I more redirected where the force was going and allowed me to carry myself in that direction. I think that protected me to a large degree and like protected my knees, my shoulders, all those kinds of things. So actually in reality, if, if I'm talking day to day, the only true evidence you can see I played football because I've lost a lot of weight is my pinky, which I, I can no longer straighten out. It's, it's, it doesn't work. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to. So that's, that's my real lasting football injury, which I'm very thankful for. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's not too bad in comparison to, uh, to some of the stuff I've heard. So you got it, you got it pretty good. <clears throat> no, that's, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing some of your secrets. Um, and some of your tips, I'm sure there's athletes out there in contact sports that are going to find that very helpful. Um, so you've had, you had an amazing career. And in 2019, you were inducted into the CFL Hall of Fame. So tell me, um, tell me how that felt when you received that phone call. What was going through your mind, emotions? It was, it was a very interesting phone call. I was at work at the time. And... Uh, sort of like hung up and I think I went out and immediately like started uh you know telling all my co-workers <laughs> and that was that was fun but for me I thought uh I thought it was it was truly an honor and I, I was humbled by it um uh the, the the names that I'd be entering into the hall of fame beside were incredible like uh Terry Greer uh, David Williams Tony Fernandez like these guys are incredible level players that I grew up watching in the 80s um, and to, to be in there with those, those guys, it was, that was incredible by itself. But, but for me, um, especially knowing that I, I was only just eligible to join the, this, the Canadian football hall of fame and then being selected on my first ballot, um, that sort of put me in the class of, of, of even more elite players like, uh, Russ Jackson. Um, and, and then, uh, like guys you, you would know, um, like, uh, the quarterbacks, Doug Flutie. Um, actually, uh, yeah, it's across the board. Like these guys are all incredible players. And, and for me to have the opportunity to, to be beside some of these guys, Tony Gabriel included like Canadian players. Um, it's just, that, that was truly the honor of my, my lifetime. There's actually, there's like 56 Lou Marsh award trophy winners, uh, but there's only 21st ballot, um, the hall of fame, uh, people. And I was the 20th. And that's, that's truly like, you talk about accomplishments. It's, it's pretty nice. It's yeah. no, no word of a lie. No word sure. of a lie. So what are the perks to being a Hall of Famer? Do you get treated any differently? Do you get to skip the line at the grocery store? Anything? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, would, I would say the very, the very first pick, uh, thing, was, and you alluded to it earlier, the, the Cornish Trophy. Um, actually, when, when all the players from the, like, to be inducted into the Hall of Fame were entering the Hamilton Stadium, they have a nice foyer, and then there they have a, a few Hall of Fame items. And the newest Hall of Fame item at that time was the John Cornish Trophy. Nice big trophy uh, seated right in the middle of that display case. So every person that was going into the Hall of Fame, those guys I mentioned, they all had to walk past the John Cornish Trophy. So that was, that was the first real, like, yeah, I, I made it. Um, but actually, you know, I've been uh, really appreciating the, the – I got, I think, two uh, – like newspaper covers this year which I could have never never imagined like five years out of football you're getting on the front page of of the the sun so I I was incredibly happy about that and the sort of that that sort of served to 
create some awareness about what I had done, like sort of outside of football in my, in my like banking career. Um, I completed the Chartered Financial Analyst program, one of the hardest tests, testing programs around. Um, so I had that. I had my years of experience working at TD Bank. And so it actually got me recruited. And so I ended up, uh, the Hall of Fame got me uh, my current job because, uh, you know, oh, John's in the newspaper. What's he doing? Oh, you're the CFA? Yeah. So I got uh, uh, poached by uh, RBC. And honestly, like, for the line of work that I'm in working for RBC, like you couldn't, you couldn't imagine a better place to be. So overall, uh, you know, sort of now I can, like, if I call up a random prospect, I can, I can let them know who I am through a little bit better context. No, I'm I'm a banker who has X amount of years of experience rather than that. I can say, Hey, you ever watched uh, CFO football? Yeah. I watched a little bit. You remember that one player, John Cornish? Yeah. 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 I, I remember him. That's me. And so it, it helps me out. It helps me out in a multitude of ways um, that honestly, I'm still learning to take advantage of. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about John Cornish outside of football, because most people know you as the football player. Um, but I know also while you're playing football, you're working as well. And I feel like a lot of people don't know that. They don't know the work that you are putting in outside of football practice outside of games so why don't we dive into that a little bit yeah i uh so i started working at the bank um 2012 right at the end of 2012 so i had actually just won the most outstanding canadian like three days later i roll up in the bank uh with my resume and actually i started a little bidding war there's like a three branch little uh bidding war and who can call me back who can hire me the fastest <laughs> and so it turns out it was a it was a market mall branch here and uh, honestly, like I, I enjoyed my time. They started me off as a teller, and and you you know a teller. You got plenty of people standing in line. You you help out your the people come in, your customers. Um, but the problem was was like I could play a football game and then go to work. So if I did well in the football game, it's like you know you you look just like that guy on, on the newspaper or whatever, right? Yeah. One time a guy comes in, and he's like, you know, I you you look like a football player, and then there's another guy in line wearing a number nine, a Cornish jersey, yeah. and says, no, 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 that is John Cornish. <laughs> That's so, amazing. How are, you, how are you feeling in that moment? What were you thinking? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was just thinking that I, I did the right thing. Yeah. I mean, it was starting to work at that point in time. And honestly, I made some, like, as much as I say, you know, as an athlete, you can network and those kinds of things. I didn't really make any traction until I started becoming a normal person. Right. Um, as a uh, employee at the bank, I had a job and not playing sports. I had a job mm-hmm. and that allowed me to make a lot of contact with people. Just I'm meeting both at TV in the banking world and then started making my contacts sort of outside and building my network outside. So it wasn't really until I started working for the bank that I really started cultivating a network here in Calgary. Mm-hmm. And then it was a it was an amazing experience for me. Um, because like, honestly, I, I think a lot of people expected me to just quit. Like I didn't need to work, yeah. but, uh, you know, it's sort of having that perseverance and just sticking with it. Like sometimes you'd have football practice till one thirty, and then you show up at work from two to eight. Wow. It was just part of the deal. Wow. Right. Uh, because you know, you, you think long-term yeah. and hopefully it doesn't interfere with your more near-term uh, goals. Yeah. So how, how were you able to balance both and be, be effective in both? And also, did you find that working throughout your football career made um, retirement 
an easier process for you? Well, yeah, retirement was a joke, but uh, I would say overall football helped me um, sort of become a better worker. And then when I went into the banking environment, I saw how you had to work with teammates that weren't necessarily a guy hitting another guy beside you. Um, and then I actually took that back to football. Um, so 2013, after I'd been working at the bank for a little bit, ended up being my statistically, um, or like in terms of yardage gain, my best year. Um, so I think that it helped me sort of gain that focus, the level of understanding that you need um, to, to one, be a good student of the game, and, and another to be like, what am I doing? I'm showing up for work. How have I prepared to show up for work? So it gave me what, what I call prep time, just always being prepared for what's next. Mm. And that, uh, that in turn uh, allowed me to be really well positioned on, in terms of retirement because retirement basically looked like for me, I was working at the bank. Um, should I retire? Yeah, let's, let's retire. I call up my bank, tell them I'm going to retire. Okay, John, we got a job for you. Cool. I tell it to, uh, uh, the Stampeders I'm going to retire. They're like, cool. We sort of knew this was happening, John, but okay, that, that's cool. I have my retirement press conference and I show up at TD Wealth. So a promotion the following day. Wow. So it was, it was, it was pretty, it was a little bit of a shock. You have your retirement press conference, newspapers across the country talking about your retirement. And then the following day you're taking staples out of pieces of paper. Yeah. Right. So, so it was, it was a little bit humbling, yeah. but it allowed me to have a level of consistency with my life that like nothing changed. Yeah. It, it was weird. Nothing changed in my life at retirement. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, you've definitely defeated the myth that all football players are jocks. <laughs> definitely, you definitely got both the brains and the athleticism. Um, I appreciate that. But yeah, so what else are you up to um, outside of football? Because I know you have a couple yeah. of things going on. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, we, uh, like my wife and I attended a lot of different events over time, and we started realizing there was no black people at the events we went to. Um, uh, we, we both thought there was something wrong with that. Um, we, we didn't know why. Um, so we started sort of talking to the community, seeing, see, reaching out what's, what's going on business wise for black people in Calgary. And we found that there was no sort of central location. If you wanted to do business with a black person, there was no place you could go in Calgary other than like a cultural association. Yeah. So we, we thought we could do something about that because there's a lot of different chambers of commerce um we, we thought we could build our own uh, chambers so we we, we uh, got together a few people and we put together what's called now the calgary black chambers now we're a registered society in alberta uh we were currently working on uh, getting uh, basically funds to students who are in desperate state straits as it stands right now with coronavirus you have many students who have to pay rent they've lost their job um eventually they're gonna have to pay for school um, how are they going to come up with that money? So within our group, we have about 130 or so members. We were able to fundraise. We put together a, a, a packages now for, for students in need. So focusing primarily on international students, because a lot of students here have family and whatnot. But we're, we're working to help uh, the students that get in contact with us uh, to just aid them along their journey, help them pay for food and whatnot. Yeah, that's amazing, man. <clears throat> I love to see that. I love to see people taking initiative and trying to make a difference. Um, but let's talk about how have you been affected by COVID-19 and also what are some things that you've done to adapt to the situation? You know, I, you know this is the first time I've been asked like properly that. Like I know everybody asks in, in passing. They just say, oh, you know, I'm dealing with it, dealing with it. But since we have a little bit more time, I can expand on it. Yeah. And I will say that I'm not sure there's 
I, like it, fundamentally I'm a gamer at heart, right? When COVID-19 came around and lockdown, what, what was the thing in my, the back of my head, my wife and I had set up our business at RBC to be fun, fundamentally mobile. Like we could move anywhere in the country and still do our job. And so the lockdown didn't change anything for us. Okay. So work is fine. Cool. Um, what, what do we do with this extra free time now we don't have to travel downtown. I found a lot of time to game and I, I, I do believe um, I, like, you know, maybe, maybe 10 years ago, I would have been an outlier as a gamer, but everybody games on something now. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, like, I've had that time to dedicate to sort of my gaming. It's my escape, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like if you look at the news, it's wall to wall, negative stuff. There's a few positive things here and there, if they can get through all the noise. Uh, so I just, I go into my own like little world. Like, uh, my wife has her animal crossing. I have my, my Minecraft, my world of Warcraft. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's just, I have my, my things that I can do um, to sort of get away from all this craziness. <laughs> nice, man. So what's your go-to game? Do you play any Call of Duty or 2K, Madden? <laughs> no, no, no. So I, I've, I've, always viewed, I've always been part of the PC Master Race. Okay. Uh, PC gamer uh, from day one. So uh, get down to college, uh, 2002, start making a few buddies down in college. Uh, we ended up playing uh, Unreal Tournament, which was a big game back in the day. And then we actually moved over to World of Warcraft. Now, are these gaming buddies? Uh, so, like, 2002 we met, and we still talk every day to this day. Like, we haven't seen each other physically for, for a little while now, but uh, we still, like, talk every single day. We're gaming together, doing something. But mostly right now, I, I was playing Minecraft. I, I built my own world. I uh, came across Minecraft when I was volunteering at the Children's Hospital. So I would, after practice, this is before I started working in the bank, after practice, I would go to the Children's Hospital as part of their official volunteer program, not the athlete shows up. So I would push a little cart of video games around, and I'd play video games with kids. Um, and I came across a lot of cool different video games. Mario Party is a huge one. Mm. I highly recommend that to everybody. Um, but uh, Minecraft, and not just Minecraft, modded Minecraft, modified Minecraft. And once I started getting into that, and I saw like that you could literally spend thousands of hours just digging into the like the tiny little details and like building your own kind of stuff. Yeah, I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, mm. so I, I, that's that's a game I'm primarily playing right now. That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard a lot about Minecraft. I've never played it. I'm more of a Call of Duty guy myself, but uh, I might check it out based on your record. You know, I've, I've never, my biggest thing with, with gaming, growing up, uh, my buddies always wanted to play the sports games. I grew up playing NHL. Um, uh, not, not really too much football uh, until a little bit later, Madden a little bit. Um, but like, I, I always liked being on the same team as my friends. Like, I never liked playing against people. And that was, Maybe it was a problem in my football career, too, because I, I, I always wanted to be nice at the end of the day. I didn't want to do any, like, I didn't want to hurt anybody or anything like that. I'm not a very competitive person, except with myself. Mm. So, like, I, I never liked games like Call of Duty and those kinds of games because, like, I'm not trying to kill anybody. Even then, even then, like, as, as much you have this fire in you, you want to go tackle somebody. And I laid, I laid some hits in my time. Yeah. But, like, I always felt bad after. Like, I didn't walk off the field gloating that I smashed this guy. I always felt bad after. Yeah, you must have felt bad after a lot of games then, John. <laughs> <laughs> you, always, you always have, like, 5% of your consciousness, like, 
I feel bad for those guys. We beat them too hard. The other 95, you're good. You're good. <laughs> so who is the greatest bald athlete of all time? Michael Jordan. Simple. Is, is it because the last dance is on right now or were you always no. a fan of him growing up? No, like, why am I bald right now? Michael Jordan. Simple as that. <laughs> Michael Jordan made a call. He saw his hair starting to fade back this is going to be my new image. And he stuck with it. And that's been his new image. You ain't got to worry about no like bowl haircut. <laughs> Michael Jordan, you ain't never seen that. And I wanted the same thing. So in 2011, I was only like, I was a 26. I was like, once my hair started to fade, I made a call right then and there. That I was going to shave my head just like Michael. <laughs> nice. Hey, it's a great look. And it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm, glad I, I'm glad I have a reasonably shaped head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll wrap it up with this. Um, do you have any words for the city of Calgary or uh, words for the nation of Canada? Um, any words of positivity, encouragement? Um, I know things are starting to loosen up a little bit, but um, there's still a lot of people out there with a lot of fear and anxiety right now. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think uh, you should accept the feelings of fear and anxiety because we're all going through that right now. Everybody has their own COVID-19 story that they're, they're telling as it goes on, that's evolving continuously. I would say that's the most important thing. We're in an evolving situation. Can you, can you rely on your government and the people around you to sort of believe that things are gonna be okay? I think so. In Canada, we have one of the greatest governments. We have one of the greatest dem democratic structures. Um, and we have people that are willing to accept the science, accept the facts, and base our uh, future actions off of those. I think we see a lot of stuff coming from the states. Having our U.S. border continuing to be closed, I think that's a great thing. And I think we in Canada are going to figure out a way to to just make things work. I mean, are we going to be masked? Yes. Are we going to be uh, experiencing a different summer than we've ever experienced before? Yes. But they're just part of the situation. And I think the number one thing is don't think that there has to be some return to a new normal or some old normal. It's just going to be different than it was, right? Like whatever normal we had was evolving. iPhone comes out, social media comes out. We didn't have those things in 2002, yeah. right? Life has been continually evolving. And this is just another facet of that life. Things happen. You know, this might not be a great thing. And, you know, obviously it's, it's really terrible if you get it. But I, so I think we, we just need to be focused on keeping safe. Uh, keeping our family safe and just really listening to the facts and working as hard as we can to make sure that we aren't we aren't listening to rumors and those kinds of things that's great man <clears throat> some wise words um are you a big stampede guy are you pretty bummed out that uh, there's no stampede for us this year no, honestly we haven't been to a stampede in years like i don't i don't get to move around at a stampede i just get ambushed and <laughs> I, we, I don't get to have any fun like I can go to a stampede and like I'm hanging out with my boys somebody grabs me and then like I keep walking and then they post on Twitter's like oh yeah John Cornish was stuck up you know it's just it's part of life right so I just choose to go back to Vancouver where I can have some peace and yeah. quiet during the week of stampede okay. <laughs> right, John, thanks a lot for your time I really appreciate it Hey, thanks for having me on. This is this is a beautiful opportunity, and I want to congratulate you on spreading the word uh, of different peoples in the city and the province, as well as you know just continuing to to build the presence of of, of colored people on the internet. For sure, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, you're definitely an inspiration to me, and um, I'm wishing you all the best in the future. And we'll have to catch up again sometime.
Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. All right, no problem.